I read a really interesting article this week. A friend of mine posted it on his Facebook page. And it was three things that a congregation needs to hear from their pastor. So three things that a congregation needs to hear from their pastor. The first thing on the list was that a congregation needs to hear uh, that their pastor loves them. And so I want to tell you right now, honestly, truly, I love you. Okay, I love you all. Uh, I love being your pastor. I, I love serving with you here at GFCC. Um, I love. I, I just love being the minister here. Uh, I love what I do, uh, and I love you. And I'm so glad that God has called us here to Griffith. We've been here a little over six years now, and we love it here. We absolutely love it here, and I love you. The second part, the second part of the I love you equation, uh, is. The, the, the article said that a congregation needs to hear that their pastor loves them and that because he loves them, he will tell them the truth. This morning, I want to tell you that I love you and it's because I love you, I am going to tell you the truth. Now you may be wondering, where is this going? What are we talking about today? I want you to know, I love you, and because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is a truth-filled sermon, all right? We are uh, going to talk about a lot about truth today, so I'm going to do just that. Now, we are continuing on in our summer concert series. We are looking at songs, hit songs from the past eight decades and using the song titles as sermon titles. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at the 40s. We talked about Sentimental Journey. Last week, last week we talked about the 50s and Elvis and Jailhouse Rock. And I was, as I was putting, putting this sermon together, this sermon series together earlier in the year, I was thinking about the different decades of music and how there were just certain groups or singers that you just had to use one of their songs. And so like the 50s, for me, it was just natural. It's like, you got to do Elvis, right? The 60s, who, I mean, you got to do, yeah. I mean, the four lads from Liverpool, Right, we've got to do the Beatles, right? Of course we do, yes. A terrible Beatles image. I'm so sorry. I, I beg your forgiveness for that. That was awful. But yeah, I had to do certain songs by certain artists, and for the 60s, it, was, it had to be the Beatles. And one of the Beatles' biggest hits in the United States was Hey Jude. Hey Jude... In 1968, Paul McCartney wrote this song for John Lennon's son, Julian, in order to comfort him as his parents were going through a divorce. So Paul McCartney penned this song for John Lennon's son, Julian, and it went to number one in 1968 and at the time sat there for a record nine weeks. It was their biggest hit in the United States was Hey Jude. This sermon today, okay, this sermon has nothing to do with the with the song Hey Jude. It's just it was like a cool title, and I thought I could. I'm I'm, I'm putting this sermon series together. I'm thinking I'm going to preach through the book of Jude. I've never preached the book of Jude before. It's just one chapter. It's 25 verses, right at the very end of the New Testament, right before you get to uh, Revelation. It's first, second, third John, Jude, and Revelation. That's how I memorized it at church camp all those years ago. And it's like Jude is it's this little forgotten book that we don't really talk much about, and half the people don't even know it's there. It's like I said, it's just 25 verses. So several weeks ago. You know, I'm, I'm looking, I'm reading through the different passages I'm going to preach on, and I open up my Bible in my office, and I turn to Jude, and I start reading Jude. Jude is tough. I'm going to tell you right now, Jude is tough. This is a tough sermon. This is going to, this is going to be one of those sermons where you're going to, we're going to get done with church, 
and you're going to go out to the, you're going to quietly walk out to your car and feeling like you've been beaten up by God's word and you're going to get in the car and you're probably not going to say, well, that was nice. How many of you do that? You ever get in the car and go, that was a nice sermon today. Please tell me you do that, right? Okay. That wasn't, yeah, okay. So, you know, that was, that was nice. Uh, today is not one of those that was nice kind of days. Um, that, you know, while Hey Jude was a song of comfort, the message of Jude from Scripture is a message of warning and woe. And it's going to make you go, whoa. Because it is, it is intense. It is serious. And like I said, because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. Today is a truth-filled kind of day. Not that I normally, not, not that I lie to you. I don't lie to you. Uh, and I try not to sugarcoat things very much. Um, but today is not a sugarcoated kind of day because Jude is not a sugarcoated kind of book. It is a truth-filled book, and it is tough. Uh, the truth is, is that, and, and we're going to get into this with Jude, the truth is, is that hell is real and people really go there. All right, and, and that, is, that is the truth of the matter. Hell is real, and people really go there if they don't follow Jesus. That is the truth. And like I said, this is not a message where you're going to go, well, that was nice, because this is, this is not nice. And not everything is nice. Things are hard. Uh, and the, tr- the truth of Scripture is sometimes very hard to hear. Uh, and we're going to get into that today as we talk about the book of Jude. So grab your Bible and turn to nearly the very end of Scripture, all the way to the book of Jude. Grab your Bible and turn to Jude, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 25. We're going to cover the whole book. We're going to read the whole thing. And so you can say to your coworkers tomorrow, we, we, we preached, uh, we had a sermon on an entire book of the Bible yesterday. Don't tell them it was the shortest one, but just tell them we had a sermon on a whole book of the Bible. Uh, let's look uh, as we begin, uh, starting in, let's just look at the first two verses. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Well, that's not so bad. That's kind of a nice greeting. It's a typical greeting of a letter in those days. Jude was writing a letter to Christians of his day, uh, and he identifies himself as Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James. Now, James is the guy who wrote the book of James. He wrote that letter a couple of uh, books before the book of Jude. Um, So James wrote a letter. James was a half-brother of Jesus. James's uh, mother and father were Mary and Joseph. Okay, so he was a half-brother of Jesus, and so was Jude. Now, Jude's name was probably actually Judas, but probably went by Jude because, well, you know, Judas betrayed Jesus, and he didn't want to confuse him. So he went by the, the shortened name Jude in order to avoid confusion with Judas Iscariot, but he was a half-brother of Jesus. Kind of cool. Though, you know, Jesus' brothers wrote books. Um, and so he begins this uh, letter by identify him, identifying himself And then he's going to start addressing what he's going to get down to, what he's talking about. Look at verses 3 and 4. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. There were false teachers that had worked their way into the church, and they were spreading messages that were completely uh, opposed to the truth of Scripture. 
And they were teaching things that were not scriptural. They were teaching things that were not in uh, congruence with the gospel. They were teaching false teachings. They were false teachers. That's what false teachers do is they teach false teachings. Um, They were telling people that God is going to forgive you anyway, so go ahead and sin all you want. That's one of the things that they were teaching. God's going to forgive you, so go ahead and just sin all you want. It doesn't matter. It's kind of like, well, it's kind of like something that I sometimes do at home. Have you ever heard of the phrase, it's better to ask forgiveness than to ask permission? You've ever heard that? Yeah. And if you live by that motto, it's better to ask forgiveness than to ask permission. It's like, if I ask permission to do this, they're going to say no. And since I want to do it, I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway. And then I'll just ask forgiveness. Everything will be fine. That's not how it works. That's not a good way to live, especially when it comes to God. It's, it's not as though we can just say, I'm going to do whatever I want and God's going to forgive me anyway. So everything will be cool. Everything's not cool. Everything is not cool. All right. We're, we're going to find out why in just a moment. But Paul addressed this very same issue in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Look at this. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Christians are forgiven by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are baptized into Christ's death and then raised to a new life. We are raised to be holy, to live a new holy life, not to have a license to sin. We are not like James Bond. James Bond had a license to kill, right? Right. Christians are not James Bond. We are not 007. We do not have a license to sin. We can't just do whatever we want and just ask God to forgive us uh, and just expect that everything's going to be hunky-dory. Paul expressly says in Romans 6, by no means. The emphatic Greek, uh, the Greek uh, construction of this phrase literally means God forbid. God forbid that we would say, I can do whatever I want and God's going to forgive me anyway. It's taking advantage of his grace. And that is what we are not called. We are not saved to take advantage of his grace. Jesus died on a Roman cross to save us from our sins. He suffered and he died. He was tortured and he bled so that we might be forgiven. The reason that he died on the cross was because of our sin. It's our fault. It is our fault that Jesus died. And because he died, uh, our sins are forgiven and we are free from the consequences of sin, but we are called to die daily to sin, to daily die to sin and say, you know what? I'm not going to sin willy nilly as though it doesn't matter because it does matter. And we'll see this in just a second. Um, In Jude uh, verses five through 11, he starts to give some Old Testament examples of what he's talking about. Look at verse, uh, verse 5. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. 
They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, this is really uh, strange. It's like, what is he talking about here? But he goes, even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Let's talk about these Old Testament examples. The first example he gives is, about, is the example of the Israelites. The Israelites um, did not believe God. They sent 12 spies into Canaan. 12 men went to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad and two were good. Uh, They sent 12 spies into Canaan. Only Joshua and Caleb came back and said, we can take this land with God's help. We can do this. And the other 10 said, nope, people are huge. They're going to destroy us and we'll never survive. The people listened to the 10 spies. They didn't go into Canaan and God killed off that entire generation before he let them go into the promised land. So they went into the promised land at that point. Um, The second example is because the Israelites did not trust God that they were doomed um, because of their unfaithfulness and that generation was destroyed. The second example he gives is of fallen angels who were doomed for all eternity. That they rebelled against God and they were doomed for all eternity. The third example he gives is Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah was doomed because of the uh, sexual immorality and perversion uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. And that includes homosexual behavior. That it was their behavior that doomed them. And so you have these three examples from the Old Testament of the doom that God pronounced uh, on these groups of people. This destruction and doom that would come upon them. And so the first blank on your outline, if you got your bulletin, turn your, to the, uh, the HDO on the back. And you can find the, the handy dandy outline. And the first blank on the outline is the doom of the ungodly. The doom of the ungodly. The ungodly false teachers of Jude's day were doomed because they were teaching that these things were okay. And not only were they teaching that these things were okay, that it's okay to do all these things, sexual immorality, it's okay to slander celestial beings, in other words, to to blaspheme uh, God and spirits and things like that and and, uh, to invoke these things uh, because of their unfaithfulness, because they weren't faithful to God and weren't following Jesus faithfully. Because of these sins, they were doomed. The people, the false teachers of Jude's day were doomed to destruction. Man, this is some heavy stuff. This is really, really heavy stuff. But um, if you look at verse 11, we see three more. There are three more examples. Look at this. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed into profit, for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These three examples. Cain murdered his brother in self-centeredness. He murdered his brother in self-centeredness. The second example is of Balaam, who led Israel into sexual immorality and disobedience. And then Korah's rebellion is found in Numbers chapter 16. Korah and two others rebelled against Moses. And the Bible says that the earth swallowed them and that the Lord rained fire down upon their followers. And so this doom and destruction continues in the Old Testament of these unfaithful, immoral, disobedient people. That there is doom and destruction for the uh, unfaithful, immoral, uh, and um, uh, greedy, self-centered people. There is doom and destruction for the wicked. If you look at verses 12 through 19, well, we're just cruising right along, aren't we? 
Happy, happy, happy. Look at verse 12. These men are blemishes at your love feasts. A love feast was a gathering for worship when they would celebrate communion. Eating with you without the slightest qualm, as though it's no big deal. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands of thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way that's a lot of ungodliness and all of the harsh words against un, uh, all of the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him these men are grumblers and fault finders they follow their own evil desires they boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage but dear friends remember what the apostle of our lord jesus christ foretold they said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires these are the men who divide you who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit so we see that the false teachers were selfish and they were full and their teachings were empty and they were full of empty teachings. Jude gives six examples from nature about an autumn tree, uh, a wave, um, uh, stars, uh, all of these different natural examples of the emptiness of the teachings of these false teachers. This is a serious issue, this idea of false teachers in the church. This is something that God takes very seriously. It's something that we should take seriously as well. We need to be careful who we listen to. He talks about the book of Enoch. Uh, the book of Enoch, uh, Enoch was a prophet uh, who wrote in the second century before the, the birth of Christ. And it's an extra biblical source. But he was a prophet who, who prophesied that a day was coming when all these false teachers would arise. And that they would do terrible things in the church, including dividing the church. Man, this is, like I said, this is really heavy, heavy stuff, man. There's a little 60s reference for you, right? This, man, this is really heavy stuff. I mean, these are some harsh statements. There, there's not a lot of love and grace going on here, is there? In these first 19 verses, it's not like, oh, yay, everything is great. We're going to heaven. This is going to be wonderful. No, this is like really heavy stuff where uh, God is saying that these people who come in and teach these false teachings and lead you astray and do all of these things, they're doomed, they are doomed because of their ungodliness and their ungodly behaviors and their ungodly language. They are doomed for all eternity. And you know what? Jude is right. He is right. We need to be on the lookout for false teachers. We need to pay attention to what leaders say and do. We need to pay attention to what preachers say and do. We need to... This is so important that the reason that we need to know our Bibles, the reason you need to know your Bible, the reason you need to read your Bible is so that you know what the truth is. Don't worry about what the lies are. Worry about the truth. If you know the truth, Jesus said, the truth will set you free. We said that at the very beginning of the service. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And Jesus said in John 17 that the word of God is truth. And so if we will follow God's word, if we will study God's word, if we will know God's word, then we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. We will not be led astray by false teachers. We will not be pulled away by false teachers. Because if you don't know scripture, if you don't know scripture, you're in trouble. Because there are a lot of false teachers. There are a lot of false prophets, people out there who, and, uh, who will say whatever they can and who say whatever they want to try and attract more followers. And they do it a lot of times for greed. Greed and pride and arrogance and selfishness, 
And they will pull all these false teachers, all these people who will listen to their false teachings. And, and the problem is, is that they'll twist it just enough so that it sounds really good, and it sounds kind of biblical, and it sounds kind of Christian, but we're really not sure. Well, it sounds pretty good. It sounds about right. I have a fictional book of the Bible that I created. Well, somebody else created it, but I quote it a lot. It's called the book of Hezekiah. And in the book of Hezekiah, is all kinds of different sayings and things that sound biblical, but they're not really. It's like whenever somebody wants to quote, the, quote scripture and sound like they have authority, they'll quote the book of Hezekiah. Well, the book of Hezekiah says everybody's got a story. Sounds good, right? Sounds nice and everything, but it's not the Bible. It is not God's word. It is not the truth. And we have to know the truth. We need to know scripture. We need to know the Bible so that we can follow the truth, so that we can follow God, so that we can follow Jesus, and we will not be led astray. Because that's the problem, is that when we hear teaching that sounds pretty good, it is easy to get led astray. And what does Jude say about these false teachers? What is their destiny? Doom and destruction. And not just for them, but for those who follow them. There is doom and destruction for those who follow the false teachers. And one of the false teachings that we have in our day, one of the things that, that we have going on uh, is that preachers and teachers refuse to call sin what it is. What is sin? Sin. Sin is sin. But we have teachers and preachers who won't say that. They won't call sin, sin. They refuse to call sin what it is. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, listen to this. Paul tells the young preacher Timothy, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And this is the key. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. People don't want the truth. And they want to hear what false teachers have to say. I would rather, I, I, honestly, okay, I have this personality flaw. And it's, it, the personality flaw is that I, I like to be liked. Okay? And I, the reason I call it a flaw is because sometimes it makes me say things, do things that I don't normally want to say or do uh, just so that somebody will like me. If I was a doctor, okay, it'd be very hard for me to give you a shot. Why? Because the shot hurts and you're not going to like me if I give you the shot. Especially little guys. Oh, you know, my uh, little guy was great until he got to about five years old. And then all of a sudden he realized what a shot was and he didn't like him so much anymore. Because they hurt. Shots hurt, right? But I would, ra I would rather you not like me. I'd rather you look at me and go, Sean, I don't like this sermon very much. I don't like you very much right now. I'd rather you not like me because I told you the truth than for you to, to like me because I told you a lie. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't want to lie to you, and I don't want to lead you astray, and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach the truth and preach the word to the best of my ability each and every week. We're going to, that's why we do what we do. We preach the word of God here, and we believe that the Bible is the word of God, and that's what we follow. And there are parts of it, we'll be honest. If we're honest, there are parts of it that we don't like. There's things that it says that we're not supposed to do that we know that we do, and it convicts us and it makes us feel bad. But that's, called, that's why we need to repent. That's what it's all about. I would rather you not like me because I told you the truth than to have you love me because I told you what you wanted to hear. 
Like I said, imagine a doctor who won't give you a flu shot because he wants you to like him. It doesn't make sense. Give me the shot because I need to stay healthy. Give me the shot because I don't want to get the flu this fall. All right, and I don't whatever your views on the flu shots are. It's not the, this is not the time or place. But you know what I'm saying. Give me the vaccine, even though it hurts for a moment. Give it to me straight, rather than uh, and 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 risk me not liking you before uh, I get sick, and then I really don't like you. Okay, this is the way it is. This is the way it should be for preachers and teachers. I'm going to tell you the truth. Even if it means that you're not going to like me very much. I'm going to tell you the truth. Even I'm going to risk this. Okay, I'm going to risk this. You may say, I don't like that sermon because it made me feel bad. Because it stepped on my toes. Because it got a little crunchy. I don't like that sermon. And I'm not going to go to that church anymore. I would rather, I would rather risk you saying, I'm not going to go to that church anymore. Because I don't like what the Bible says. Than to tell you, the, tell you a lie or to preach a false teaching to try and get a bigger crowd. That's not what it's all about. Again, that's exactly what, Tim, what Paul told Timothy. In the last days, people are going to come, and they're going to, there's going to, the people will gather large crowds to themselves, and, and they're going to gather false teachers to themselves who say what, only what their itching ears want to hear. And we see it all over the place, false teachers popping up. You know, and, and it's, it's not good. And like I said, book of Jude says there is doom and destruction. The time is coming, okay? Mark it down. Today is July 21st, 2013, all right? The time is coming. The time is coming when you will have to make a choice. The time is coming when we will have to take a stand. That we will have to say, you know what? I believe that the Bible is the word of God. I believe that what it says is true. And I'm going to stand with it no matter what it may cost me. Okay? The time is coming when you're not going to be able to ride the fence and go, Oh, I don't know. Some of the Bible's true. and Maybe some of it's not. You've got to make a choice. You're going to have to make a choice. Am I going to follow Jesus? Am I not going to follow Jesus? Am I going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Am I not going to love God? It, you're not going to have an option. The time is coming. The Bible tells us that there is persecution that comes in the last days. And if we are living in the last days, like the Bible says that we are, if we're living in the last days, persecution is coming. Oh, that will never happen here. The Bible says that persecution is coming. What are you going to do? Are you going to ride the fence or are you going to take a stand? That's the question. And the time is coming when you will not be able to ride the fence. Just trust me on this. It is coming. The Bible guarantees it. But Jesus said, if we stand firm to the end, we will have the crown of righteousness. Okay? So, like I said, where are you going to stand? What are you going to stand on? Are you going to ride the fence? Or are you going to take a stand for what you believe in? Will you stand for the truth or will you fall away? Sin is sin. And God, God is hates sin. We're very, it's very clear. God hates sin. The good news is he will forgive sin. If you will believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, God promises that he will forgive our sins. It doesn't give us a license to sin. It doesn't give us a license to do whatever we want and just trust that God, you know, and just take advantage of his grace and forgiveness. He gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can say no to sin. All right. There's good news. Okay, it's not all gloom and doom. I mean, most of it is. It's 19 out of 25 verses is gloom and doom. But there's some good news. There's some really, really good news. And I, wanna, I don't want to skip that. I want to I keep going. So 
Look at Jude chapter 1, uh, or Jude verses 20 through 23. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The second blank on your outline is the hope of of the godly the hope of the godly to be godly means to be faithful it means to be devout it means to be a believer in jesus and there is real hope for the godly there is real hope for people who say i will live a holy life i will live a godly life i'm not going to use my salvation as a license to sin i'm going to follow jesus and he tells those of us who want to do this to press on and to persevere in our faith. Because Jesus promises a crown, not condemnation. Jesus promises a crown, not condemnation. So we need to, as, as Jude says, in, in, light of the con, the, in light of the crown that Jesus promises, in light of the eternal life that Jesus promises, in light of the salvation that he has given us, in light of the forgiveness that he has given us, we need to do a couple of things. First, we need to love other people. Jude says it very clearly. We need to be merciful to those who doubt and snatch others from the fire. This is a, the ultimate act of love is to love somebody so much that you pull them from the error of their ways and you, and you help them find Jesus. Be merciful to those who doubt. How many of you have issues with doubt sometimes? Anybody? Issues with doubt? Too often the church will like look at people who doubt and just kind of beat them up. You know, I've heard it said the, the Christian army is the only army in the world that shoots its own wounded. That's not good. Jude says to be merciful to those who doubt, those who struggle with their faith. We need to be merciful to people who struggle with doubt because when, we honest, when we're honest, we all have moments of doubt. We need to be merciful to those who doubt and, and, and we need to show mercy to others as well and we need to snatch people from the fire. We need to save them. We need to love other people in such a way that we're going to pull them from the error of their ways. So we need to love others. We need to be merciful to doubters. We need to rescue those who are perishing. In other words, we need to love God, love others, and spread the gospel. See, this is a message. It's, it, this, this thing that we do on Sunday mornings, this little mission statement that we say, it's not just something nice to do to fill about seven seconds of time. The reason that we do this is because this is a message that permeates the entire New Testament. This idea of, of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving everybody around us, even, even our enemies. Loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute you. And spreading the gospel is telling people about Jesus. That's what we're, this is our job. As Christians, this is our job, to love God, love others, and spread the gospel. It's not just this nice little thing we do. It is a message that completely permeates the entire New Testament. We are to love God with everything we are and everything we have. We are to love others as, as we love ourselves. And we need to share the message of the gospel with everybody. We need to tell everybody about Jesus because people need to hear about Jesus. They need to know that he is the only hope of the world. He's the only hope that we have. He is the hope of the, of the godly. For those of us who want to live a devout life, who want to live a pious life, who want to live a dedicated life, a devoted life, a life that is fully devoted to Jesus Christ, He is our hope. It's not about the good things that we do. It's not about good behavior. It's not about doing all the right things all the time. It is about living a life that is devoted to Jesus and putting Him first in our lives. 
That is what this is all about. Trusting in God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We need to be holy. That's what it comes down to. We need to be holy. And to be holy means to hate sin. That's hard. Because we like to sin. There's some sins that are fun. At least we think they are. Until we realize that we kind of made a mess of our lives. The message of Jude, I believe, boils down to this. Don't tolerate sin. In our own lives or in the lives of others. Don't tolerate sin. And we know what this means. See, deep down inside, we don't want to think about it very much, but we know what this means. It means that we have to deal with our sin problem. It means we've got to deal with it. It means we can't just keep sweeping it under the rug. Ah, oh, man, I've got to get rid of this habit. I can't believe I did that again. I've got, I got, got to do, you know, but I, for now I'm just going to sweep it under the rug and pretend like it doesn't exist. The time has come to deal with with our sin problem, to deal with sin. We need to look at ourselves and deal with our sin. Hey, Jude, we get it. We get it. We all, every single one of us, we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with temptation. Anybody who says that they don't is a liar. We all struggle with sin. We all struggle with temptation and sin of every kind. But God is faithful. The Bible says he will provide a way out. And that when we do sin, he is faithful and just. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we fail and when we fall, he will forgive us. But we cannot take his word lightly and we cannot take his grace for granted. We need to learn to say no to sin. You remember the, the slogan in the 80s about drugs? Just say, same thing goes for sin. Just say no. But John, it's so hard. I know, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. Lots. And I know it's hard to say no. Especially when you let sin kind of take hold in your life. And you let sin keep going and growing and going and growing. Then it becomes even harder to say no. Two challenges this morning. The first challenge is to deal with your sin. Okay? The first challenge is to deal with your sin. And this goes back to what Jesus said about the plank in the eye and the speck in your friend's eye, speck of dust in your friend's eye. Don't be so worried about somebody else's sin that you're going, oh, you need to deal with that, and you got this big old log coming out of your eye. Deal with the sin in your life first before you start helping others deal with their sin. And so to deal with your own sin, maybe what you need to do is get an accountability partner, somebody that you can trust, somebody that you know is not going to run and blab to everybody what's going on in your life. Did you hear about Sean? But somebody that you can go to and say, you know what, I have a struggle. I've got a struggle with temptation. I've got a struggle with sin, and I need help. And I need you to hold me accountable. So get an accountability partner and deal with your sin. Because that's the first step, is to deal with our sin. The second step, the second challenge that I, that I have for you today is to know God's Word. To get into God's Word. Get in a Bible study, and, and you've got to know God's Word. Because God's Word is truth. And you will fall prey to many different, there are so many voices in this world, so many preachers and teachers and writers and bloggers, and there's just so much. There are so many people, so many voices that you can listen to. Be careful who you listen to. Know God's word. 
Look at the last two verses of Jude. To him who was able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Heavenly Father, we need your help. We are weak and we are frail and we are powerless. And God, we too, we, we're, we're guilty. We are guilty of sin. We are guilty of not following your word, of not knowing your word. We are guilty of, of listening to the wrong voices. I pray today that you would help us to, uh, to deal with our sin problem, to deal with the sins in our lives, but that also, God, that you would help us to, uh, to know your word better. So we ask that, that we would take this message from Jude very seriously because, God, you take sin seriously. You took it so seriously that you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins. And we thank you for that, that gift today. And I pray that you'll help us to not take it for granted. We give you all the praise and all the glory through the name of your son, Jesus.